What's going on, everybody? And welcome into a very special edition of the Bet to Win podcast. I'm your host, Joe Fan. Our guest in studio here at the Win Las Vegas in the Blue Wire Studios is Darren Ravel, sports business reporter for Action Network. Follow him on Twitter. If you don't already, you're missing out at Darren Ravel. Darren, Welcome to Vegas, sir. I know you're here quite a bit, but this is but draft week is here in Las Vegas, and it's fun to have you. I yeah, appreciate I, your time. I think this is the first time I've had to walk places. I mean, it is not easy to walk here. Uh, just between going over the bridges, yep. and you're like, "Am I going right?" You know, because it's just it's a place that is built for a car. Yep. Uh, and it, originally, I was giving the NFL some slack for like. Oh, it's the biggest event in Vegas history, but I actually buy it. Now, whether it's true or not, because like there are conventions all the time here and you never know. And there, but the amount of people that are out, I've been to Vegas a hundred plus times. I mean, I've never seen anything like this. So. Yeah, it is incredible. And then you think what's coming down the line with F1 and maybe we can talk about that at the end. Are you a Vegas guy in general? You can mention you've been here a hundred plus times. I love, I, I, I love Vegas, but I just love Vegas for the energy. Um, I'm a sports gambling guy. I am not a regular gambling guy. I walk by the tables. There is nothing in my body that says go. Got it. Um, good on you. So avoid well, those vices. I, I, I don't know if it's good on me. I just, it, I don't have it for that. And I'm a major foodie. And in the past seven to 10 years, Vegas has paid attention to the food so much so that it's now an activity for people. Like instead of going to a show, you go to a great meal. Yep. Um, and I think that's been smart for Vegas. Absolutely. Delilah here, uh, a chief example of that here at the Win Las Vegas. Um, well, how would you compare round one on the strip? The, the red carpet, the Bellagio, the theater is sort of sandwiched behind the link in Caesars Forum. You got the link in the background or the, the high roller in the background, the Ferris wheel. How do, you, how do you compare what happened on Thursday night to drafts of years past, whether it was Philly, Dallas, Chicago, Nashville, and others? Well, I go back to 2000. I go back to Tom Brady getting called. Um, I don't quite go back to like the Marriott Marquis and the Sheridan. But it's amazing when you think about the fact that it's the glorified calling out of names. Yeah. Like who would ever think, you see the pictures in the 83 draft of Mel Kuyper, like who would ever think one, this is like anyone ever cares. Like, yes, it's the hope for your team and hope is everything for a fan. But like, who would ever think that like this would mean this much that people would want to see it? So being in the in, in the uh, Madison Square Garden theater and seeing people keep score of sorts, you know, with the writing in each one and they've printed out everything to on the Bellagio uh, and uh, you know to 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 see the water fountains and to have the red carpet and how the draft picks have gravitated to the 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 fun of it and people watching the red carpet it it's it's amazing because I do appreciate history and just to just to see what this has become is is just insane. How many prospects, especially those top tier guys who are at the draft, how many have caught on to where they're making money on draft night, whether it's a partnership with their clothing and what they're wearing or a brand that they can rep during it or a sponsor for their post draft party? So about three years ago, uh, and this was right before COVID, uh, there were a bunch of guys who I think their agents were advising them to stay home just so that they could have the Sasquatch from uh, Jack Link's beef jerky in the background behind their mother. And the NFL cracked down on it. 
I mean, the NFL basically said, you can't do this. You can't mooch off our brand yep. and, and sell it. Um, you know, Kenny Pickett, the, the bar that he was at, got, got a good buzz. A uh, lot, of, lot of pre-draft deals, nothing crazy. It's not like the shoe deals of the NBA picks. Yep. But, you know, these guys are making 50 grand here and there and, and doing some small deals. And it's, and it's interesting. I do always wonder whether the, the watches are watch deals or, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to burst their bubble, but like actually when you bling out a Rolex, it, it does not increase its value. Like no one in the Rolex community actually loves that. Yeah. Rolex is a great investment over time. It has done really well. But once you bling that thing out, it's not worth what you put into it. And it will never, it's like driving a car out of a, a car place after you've rented it. Yeah. If you look through Twitter last night, I mean, you're scrolling through and you were covering this as well. It felt like everyone was making money because it's become such a huge, it's obviously become a huge live event. It's, it's been a huge TV event. It's now, it's three days. It's been three days for a while and, and you just get that momentum going and even people, the diehards, they care all the way to the last pick in Mr. Irrelevant, or Mr. Irrelevant on Sunday or Saturday. But the first round has become such a betting experience. And I think you saw the public do incredibly well on Thursday night. Is that because just this draft ended up being very chalky, even though it seemed like it was ambiguous going in with the lack of a top yeah. quarterback? Uh, is it that it's just impossible to cap? Um, from a yeah. from a sports book standpoint, or is it is it strictly a sports book saying we're okay losing? We want people coming in, we yeah. want people taking action, and then it'll sort of be a lost leader for us. So hopefully, they bet down the road. It's a more. I mean, it's a, every sports book will tell you it's a marketing thing, um, and and the losses aren't that bad because um, you know you have the limits. Yeah, you can't really if anything's you know minus one seventy five or or worse, you can't make any money off of it. But um, it was interesting to see the Trayvon Walker move on Monday. Uh, I asked Aiden Hutchinson a question about just gambling in general. It kind of said, like, do you know how much of an underdog you are against Ohio State? And he said, I'm not a gambler. I wasn't looking for that. But then he offered that he, gambling told him that he was going to be the number two pick, that on Monday when Trayvon Walker became the favorite, he realized he felt that that was good enough that he good enough information that he was going to be the number two pick. So yeah, I and I think it was relatively chalky. Uh, even Derek Stingley Jr. When they're like, "Hey, that that's a surprise." I mean, he's a minus number at that. So there there really weren't any surprises that were bettable. I want to switch to the college game. Actually, wait. There there was one the the one one in the in the in the first round was Jermaine Johnson. Uh, eight and a half, eight and a half was his total number, and of course he fell so to twenty six. And something came out. I don't remember who reported it that it wasn't that he slid; it was that the media overvalued him. But still, a first round pick. Uh, I did. Li- I did like the, the jokes. The, you know, the jokes are always very good. Like, hey, uh, did the Jets not call the Tallahassee Police Department? All just not, <laughs> not, not, not accurate, but just funny. I want to switch to the college game a bit and talk about NIL, and I think. It's something that had to come eventually. Collegiate athletes are the only people on the planet that can't make money off their name, image, and likeness. Uh, that has obviously changed. It has sort of created this, this wild west in college sports. What do you make of the launching of NIL? 
Where is it headed? Uh, is it always going to be this sort of Wild West? Can you restrict it enough to where you feel like the NCAA has a little bit of control over it? Um, it's, you know, it, it is the craziest thing I've ever covered. And I've covered sports business for 21 years. So I've covered from asking Carmelo Anthony. First story I ever did on this type of stuff was Carmelo Anthony after they won the title in 2003, Syracuse. You know, he said he deserved money for his jersey. And that's where all this came, came out of. Uh, money for the jersey, money for video games. The NCAA lost a case. They did uh, have their likenesses in games, whether they admitted it or not. And then everyone got mad because Ed O'Bannon and that whole case, and now I can't have my video game. Um, and that leads to NIL where the NCAA didn't want to do it, but states had come out with laws that started on July 1st of last year. And the NCAA had just lost this Alston case, which is related to restricting earnings. So all of a sudden, the NCAA had a plan. They were like, oh, we're going to have a third-party clearinghouse where there'd be a deal. And is this deal in the range of what would be an endorsement deal? And then once this Alston case happens and they lose it, that changes everything. They're like, we can't even do that. We can't. Then we're restricting their earnings. And so on, July, on June 30th, 2021, if you're a booster, you are not allowed to contact uh, an athlete. And the universities say, please don't. On July 1st, the next day, hey, we have no control. If you're a booster, you can reach out, you can DM them on Instagram. You can do a deal. Don't tell us until the deal's done. I mean, it is the craziest 180 you could ever imagine. And it leads to things like at Miami, a booster like John Ruiz basically taking his brand and saying, we're going to put five, seven million into it. I'm going to unilaterally decide what Miami does. And then it eventually leads to what happened yesterday where Isaiah Wong is leading, you know, the Miami to as far as they went in the NCAA tournament. Says, you're giving out all this money. You're not giving me enough. And, and that makes sense. And so it's turned into this free market. I'm fine with athletes making money. I'm not fine with it coming under the guise of NIL. I mean, it's not, it's, it's free market. And I don't think the NCAA can control it. The states could potentially control it and say, hey, this is illegal. But if you think the state of Florida is going to stop Miami from being better when they're competing with teams in other states, they can have all the laws they want. They're not, they'll let it go. So it, it, is, it is as wild west. It makes, it is as wild west as you could ever imagine. How big will the numbers get? Like, do you think there will Arch be Manning, Arch Manning? If it's real, like if the if the guy from Tennessee allegedly got seven million dollars, Arch Manning is worth ten to fifteen million. It's hard to fathom that it's like another it's like another draft. It's will, like another draft. It is, yeah. and they will be making more than ninety five percent of professional athletes. <laughs> I know it's tremendous. It's incredible. I, again, it's hard to argue with if he's worth it. Then who's to say that he shouldn't be getting it? Um, do you think there's a correlation between NIL and the transfer portal that seemingly gets bigger and oh, bigger come every on. year? It's another chance to be a free agent. Why wouldn't you? Which, which becomes an issue, right? Like, I do think, uh, although, you know, it's, it's not like Jay Wright admitted it and 60 isn't that young, but, you know, they have Roy Williams and Coach K and, and Jay Wright saying, I'm done. Yeah, like maybe it was something as simple as his wife saying, all right, enough, we're fine. But, I think it has to do with with NIL because even if you get a star or if if you get let's say you get a two-star recruit and you believe in him 
the fun of it is like, I got this guy and the recruiting services don't believe in him. And then he blows up. He's automatically, no matter where he is, even at North Carolina, even at Villanova, even at Duke, he's going to check out the transfer portal. I mean, who wouldn't? So everyone's going to be in the transfer portal every year. All it is is free agency. So there's absolutely a correlation. And obviously, you know, the transfer portal in October 2018 becomes available and then you can immediately play the next year. So, uh, man, college, college sports has changed as fast as you could imagine. And what's amazing is you are going to have guys who make more money as a college player than a professional player. Or guys who make, how much would Tebow have made? Or you can make more money. Like there's going to be guys who will make 10 million potentially in college and then not be a pro. Just flat out not be a pro. Totally. Yeah. Let's talk NFTs. I think Top Shot, NFTs have sort of, uh, the scope of it is uh, well outside of just sports, obviously. But I think Top Shot was the beginning of where yeah. sports fans were kind of keen on like, what the hell's going on? What's this all about? Like there's a line of thousands of people deep trying to get a pack of an image that's like yep. a GIF and a highlight that you own and they're selling for thousands of dollars. It's easy. It's free money. It's printing money. It does feel like that's died down a bit. At, at, least, at, least, with, at least with Top Shot. At least with the, yeah. What, what do you, where are NFTs headed? I will still be on it. Have, I don't understand it. I don't get, I'm just one of those guys over my head. Like I mean, I, 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 I completely understand it. In the very beginning, I, I bought $93,000 in digital horses uh, <laughs> on Zed Run. And uh, what's a digital horse? It's a horse that runs. You could win real money at races. You could breed it. Uh, you, get, you get real money for breeding it. Um, it's, uh, it's pretty wild. Uh, these, these NFT conversations are very funny, by the way. Like, you know, people are having serious conversations like, hey, man. Just bought a gorilla. What? Yeah, I just bought a gorilla. But the cool part is it generates 10 bananas a day. And you can sell those bananas. And there's a banana stock market. And it's like, how do you deal with real world when you're having conversations like that? It's like, and it's true. There, Cyber Kongs, it, it throws off 10 bananas a day. So if you don't want to buy, if you don't want to sell the gorilla, you can, you can sell the bananas individually. So anyway, uh, 41 days later, I know it was 41 days later, my wife goes to me, are you cheating on me? I go, no, what are you talking about? She's like, you're walking around in the house with AirPods. You never do that. You're closing the door. What are you doing? I'm like, I bought $93,000 in digital horses. <laughs> she's like, she's like, she's like, are we going to get divorced right now? I go, well, I could probably sell them right now for $200,000. She goes, okay, do that. So I sold it. And then like uh, five months later, I go, hey, hon, I want to talk to you about the horses. She goes, you didn't sell them? I go, no, I sold them. I "I just want to talk to you about how much they're worth now. She's like, you're going to say like a million dollars. I go, 3.7 million. (laughs) So so that was my experience with NFTs. It's completely real. Uh, And do you name the horses? Do you get the, to, the, do you get control over that, or the horses, is the governing the, body of digital the hor- horses? The, the horses come named unless you breed them and you own them. You can name them where there is an arbitrage value. So you could name it Drake, or you could name it. It's called Zed Run. I still have a lot of belief in it, um, but it's all NFTs are all about utility. You know, Gary V's NFTs did well because you 
You go to a conference. It comes with a conference. What does it come with? What are the entitlements? A lot of people love bored apes because it feels like you're in a family. These discords and these chats and people feel really close and coming out of COVID, they need to feel close to things. I get it. Uh, uh, but I am not in any other NFTs. Like I still like physical memorabilia. I like real scarcity over false scarcity, but uh, it has been wild to cover it. And at the Action Network, we have covered it and I have covered it because just like memorabilia, just like anything, just like, it's gambling, it's gambling. And you really got to keep up on it. I mean, if you're just like cards too, like if, if you're going to play modern basketball cards as a fantasy game, which is totally what is being done, you can't take like a week off on Luka Doncic. You got to know what's happening. You got to look at eBay. You got to, otherwise you're, you're going to get killed. I wanted to go there next because I have a sports card collection. I've collected for a long time. I have a, like, it's nothing outrageous, but also fairly significant, I guess. And so is it as simple as COVID boomed the sports card industry? Because there's an obvious correlation that it skyrocketed once things shut down and people who were casually into it or used to be into it and they then decided I'm going to dive back in. I mean, you have prices of, this is, so some people listening to this might know all about sports cards, some might not. And so I, I would sort of preface this with, when I really got back into it after college, I would, you could spend- What year was that? I got out of college in 2012. Um, and I really got back into it after that. And I would tell my parents I would spend anywhere from 200 to $500 in a box of cards. And it was this- outrageous price, but that's what you had to pay to get, have a chance of getting anything worthwhile. Now, if you're, you don't, I don't know if you can buy a box for less than seven fifty dollars and not have really. a chance to get anything where, I remember when Flawless and, and mm -hmm. Panini came out with Flawless right around that time. And the first one was $1,000 a box. It was $2,000 a case. Oh my goodness, this is, and it was for, for 20 cards right. in a case. Um, now- Then you got the $2,000 pack that happened. You know, then it's like, the national treasures. And, just and now you have a case of flawless that's 15 grand for the same 20 cards. The configuration hasn't changed. So I am sort of priced out of the industry now where I look at, okay, I've got an OG immaculate curry. This is bad. This is all bad. This, this is, is a direct corollary. This I've got a bad. LeBron MJ dual auto that I've, that I'm seeing. I've got a Kobe national treasures on card game used out of 25. I mean, I probably have about forty to fifty thousand dollars of the cars, and I'm just I, I constantly debate: do I sell? Do I not? Because I can't. I'm not in a place to where I can actively continue to collect unless I want to buy singles. But you buy singles it takes the gambling out of it to a degree, unless you're going to play the stock market. So it is a fascinating conversation because I do love the industry. So it's let me let me take back. I, yeah. I will I will say it is COVID changed a lot of things. And when you think about COVID, we were by ourselves. We had to go back to nostalgic times, things that made us happy. When you're sitting in your house and you have no outside stimuli, you need to figure out how to get dopamine and good thoughts and happy thoughts into your head. And if you literally look at a card from your childhood, it does that. And plus you have eBay and the computer and it's very easy. And so I think everything nostalgic kind of went up. And I love that because I have a memorabilia collection that's probably in the $10 million range and it's all based on nostalgia. Mm -hmm. And um, so I would say uh, there was definitely a COVID element 
for you, like if you want me to like give you advice, like the, the issue with cards is you have to try to get it out of the commodity stage. And there's comfort in the fact that cards are liquid, very liquid. There's a lot of comps every two seconds. You have a, you have a comp. You, yes, if there's 25 of them, and then if there's a nine or a 10, how it's graded, you could say there's not that many comps of your LeBron Jordan card or your Kobe Jordan card. Um, but so it is about kind of like liquidity in cards and people have comfort for that. I go outside the comfort zone and buy one of one pieces where one, I have to have more balls to say what that's worth. And then I have to hope that how I've evaluated is how someone else will evaluate it. And it's okay if just two people want it. Yeah. So like I have this Warren Buffett piece that I bought that I felt was in the wrong auction. It was in a sports auction. It's the largest Warren Buffett signature ever signed. It's a foot and a half long on 18 uncut dollar bills. Wow. Bought it for 7,200 bucks. And my calculus was that there are these hedge fund managers that compare the size of their balances every day. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they would want to say, that's the largest Warren Buffett signature ever signed. And what's that worth? A million dollars, two million dollars. Like it's to, uh, I'm making the bet that for people who have money, that it will, they will buy it at whatever it costs. Mm -hmm. So the problem with cards is that the comps make sure that they're in a range and you can't have something like that. You can't have an all of a sudden 25 to 50 X. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, that's the comfort in cards mm -hmm. that there's always liquidity. So I tell collectors, you know, do, do what you want, understand it and understand that there are a lot of other factors that are at play. Luka Doncic, if you're going to invest in Luka Doncic, know that Luka Doncic investors are 18 to 24 years old. Well, what does that mean? It means that if the price goes down on something, it's going to go down faster because those people are going to sell faster because they don't have the net worth. That's what happened with Luka Doncic Prism card. $2,400 card sinks, 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 and it sinks faster than others because of who the investor is. It's not just as simple as Luka Doncic played a game. Hey, God, can they win a playoff series? Can he get, and that's why it's going down. No, it's going down because of that, but it's also going down because of a lot of other micro factors. It's fascinating. Is this a bubble that's about to be burst or is it still early innings in sports cards in terms of where it's going? I don't feel like, I mean, I follow it. I don't feel like I've gotten into it enough. I mean, I've purposely made the move to tickets because I love tickets. I love real scarcity over false scarcity. Um, and so once PSA said that they were grading tickets, I was like, oh my God, like now you finally said a ticket is worth something. Like you could never put a ticket anywhere. We're going to put it on a bulletin board and you know, no sheets for it. So for me, I like made it, I had sports cards. I got out and I was like, I'm going to put it all in the tickets. And I think that's a really interesting category because like when you have Babe Ruth leaning on the bat, you know, for his final appearance at Yankee Stadium, there's four of them. I mean, like, and and no matter how much you talk about it, no one's going to find another. <laughs> yeah. So do you, I, one, did you sell the Warren Buffett piece? And then two, what is it? Do you have like a, a massive man cave where it's all on display? No, or no, is it no, no, no. It is not on display. It's, it's a security thing, right? Like, that's the unfortunate thing. Like my best piece, like if I wanted to build a crazy room, I'd have to 
have it all, you know, like locked up. And so, but that does not mean I don't enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I go to the places where I have it stored. And I like, when I have like an adult play date, as I call it, you know, like I'll, I'll make sure I bring it out. I mean, there's, I have Excel spreadsheets. I know where everything is, you know, uh, the Buffett piece. Um, have you sold it yet? I've, I've gotten offers up to $200,000, um, which is, yeah, I mean, we're talking about, that's a almost 28 time return. Yeah. I have not sold it. I mean, this is the game you always play. Yeah. I did with tickets. I got offered a lot. Like, so with the Tiger Woods, his first tournament, 92 Nissan open, I bought one, a ticket for $1,900 turned out to be the highest graded. I sold it for $60,000, uh, like eight, you know, like eight months later, you know, but I've only sold eight of my 700 tickets because I, I do believe in it. And as an influencer, it's hard because people say, hey, you're pumping and dumping or you're pumping. And I get pissed off because it's like, no, am I actually allowed to love tickets? No, as long as I'm talking about it, there's a negative connotation with it. I'm like, yeah. I sold less than 1% of my tickets, you know? So, but it's always the game. That's the gambling side that me as a gambler, should I take it? Should I not? Like, is it based on Warren Buffett not being on this earth? Like, I, it's it's so hard. It's, it's I hard. could talk about this all day with you, but I I'm curious. What is your? <laughs> do you have a number one piece? Can you share what it is? Um, I have. I have a whether co- it's value or just sentiment. Maybe if there's a, one of each. There's there's one item that like literally like anyone would get chills over, um, and it's uh, a 1963 program. Uh, where it was a hundred dollar a plate dinner in New York in June of '63 to raise money for civil disobedience. Uh, Martin Luther King, um, he was being honored. Jackie Robinson was the Toastmaster, and wow. and it is a program from that night signed by Martin Luther King, Jackie Robinson, and Ed Sullivan, who are at that time you could argue a year ahead of the Beatles. I mean. Those are like three guys on one program. They're just, we're just insane. That's and the Jackie Robinson's in pencil, which makes me really, like every time I'm like, it's in pencil. Like you could actually erase that. Yeah, <laughs> you that's know? insane. So, but, but then once you start getting these collectibles, you have to, I mean, literally the way that's packaged, I don't see that item. I see that item once a year because the way it's packaged up, the insurance, the vault it has to be in, the security. I mean, it become, you know, like anything when things become, like people are like, hey, do you have that out? Or can I see it? I'm like, it's not in my house. Yeah. It is. It's amazing because then all you can go down the line of like, well, then just sell it so you don't have to stress about it because it is a perishable item. There is, that there's, should de- there's, definitely, there's definitely, there's definitely stress. But you, the way you get around it is you bring it to bigger and bigger facilities. So I'll, I'll tell you that item is in a facility that it has to get into it as barbed wire, uh, you know, people, guards with guns, essentially. And then if to get into it, I have to give them a week notice that I'm coming, you know? So like, it's like, <laughs> you basically say like, and then there's like billions of dollars of items that they're housing. So it's like, that's not even worth anything to them. So like you think about like, oh, is there a fire? Is it whatever it is? Yeah. But I love collectibles. I think it's, it's it, incredible it's a way of gambling. Last question on this. If someone out there or myself or whoever, where would you, uh, advise people to sell. I know eBay is obviously popular, but the fees are immense. Golden auctions is an option. That's a, it's a growing company where 
they put the fee on the buyer as opposed right. to the seller. Both, actually both. I mean, you if it depends on what type of piece you have. Um, I wouldn't advise going to an auction if you don't have a piece that's like more than $25,000 because it could get lost. And, you know, I once put a piece in an auction that was a smaller piece and I want it back. At, it was the only signed champagne bottle uh, used in a Chicago Bulls locker room signed by Jordan. It went for too little because it just, what there was a massive auction and it went for like $8,000. And I was like, I wish it was ethical for me to buy that back because I'm really angry. I don't have that. Um, eBay, eBay, eBay does work. I mean, eBay is efficient. You'll pay the fees, but eBay is efficient. It does work. Yeah. Um, and then I would just say, if you have an incredible piece, you should negotiate with an auction house. Give me negative 5% or negative 10%, which means like you're actually getting a piece of the buyer's premium. Um, so that's just how it works. Got it. It's fascinating. Darren, before I get you out, we mentioned this is all gambling. That's why people love it so much. The rush of it, um, the values that, that change, hoping to get lucky. Um, and we see sports gambling continue to be further integrated into the sports that we love, whether it's on broadcast, team partnerships, league partnerships. Um, we mentioned it at the top of this interview with the draft. It's become such a betting event, much more so than it was even a couple of years ago. Where is it headed next? And, and is there a next step for, again, broadcasts, leagues, and teams as far as partnerships go and integration? I mean, just an overt mention of gambling would be nice. Like next year when the NFL has their whole meeting with broadcasters, and I've been pushing for this, they should probably not say to like Al Michaels, like, hey, you know, don't go too clear with your gambling references only only say like well some people for some people yeah. that was important like enough like if the nfl is going to take deals do official deals sell their data be overt about it allow uh, broadcasters to talk to the gamblers now i'm not saying your screen should be like cnbc but like i feel like it makes a whole lot more sense to talk to the gamblers because you're taking money from us and i hope that happens if not, come to the Action Network, come to WinBet, whatever you're doing, let us do a betcast then. And if you think it's annoying, you know, let, let us talk to gamblers the whole time and do a broadcast that speaks to gamblers while they're watching the game. Um, it, to me, it just, it bothers me because, you know, it's great that you flip-flopped and you flip-flopped for whatever reason. I don't, I don't care if it's for money. You flip-flopped. You came to our side. Now really come to our side. Don't do this one foot in the water and one foot out. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. He is Darren Ravel, sports business reporter for Action Network. Follow him on Twitter if you're not already, at Darren Ravel. Darren, thanks so much, man. Enjoy the rest of your time here in Vegas. And hopefully we'll talk to you soon. Awesome. Thanks for having me. 